No. Come with us. Can't. Four to a shuttle, Honora. Four. One more. You know we can't make a difference. Not now. I'm not leaving Serenity. Mal, you don't have to die alone. Everybody dies alone. And I'm Brent. This month for our July edition, we welcome a couple of people who are not only well-known podcasters in the world of Doctor Who and sci-fi fandom in general, but they're also a married couple who met on a show called Professor Dave's Ark in Space. Join us as we briefly discuss the first ten episodes of Series 10 of Doctor Who, and then we land the TARDIS inside Serenity for a full discussion of the cult classic Firefly. And as a warning, this episode will contain spoilers for Firefly and Serenity, so go watch them. It'll only take a couple of days, and you'll be glad you did. (laughs) Then come back and join us for this interview with Dave and Elizabeth Keep, which starts right after this. When I first started listening to podcasts several years ago, one of the first shows that caught my attention was hosted by this month's guest. She's a smart and beautiful school teacher, and he's a lovable, smart-ass Doctor Who fan. Together they solve crimes. (laughs) (laughs) You may know them as Professor Dave and Lilybet the Wonder Girl. Hello! But we know them as David and Elizabeth Keith. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Hey, glad we're here. Yep. Good, good. So do you do you both actually solve crimes? Is that something we should talk about as well? Uh, yeah. If we told you, we'd have to kill you. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> which is a really good way of keeping yourselves in business. Well, he's been murdered. Well, we're the people for this job. <laughs> it's like a glazier with a bucket full of bricks. <laughs> we haven't recorded much this year. We just put out a Wonder Woman episode, and... Realized it was our first one of 2017. Um, But uh, it's great that people have been listening since the beginning. And and since that's kind of how we met. Well, it's definitely how we met. Um, It's always gratifying that we we tend to hear from podcasters saying, you're the show we listen to, or you're one. It's like, really? Gee, I wish the public listened to us. (laughs) (laughs) We kind of like to be nine people's favorite thing. So what was the first podcast that you ever listened to, and, and what made you want to do one of your own? Oh, Dave, how about you? I've never heard of that one, Elizabeth. What's it about? <laughs> no, what was your first podcast? <laughs> My first one was The Signal, the Firefly podcast, way back in about 2004, 2005. I think mine was, oh gosh, a Star Trek podcast. 
And then I realized that there were Doctor Who podcasts, which was a revelation for me because as far as I was concerned, Doctor Who was this really tiny niche thing um, that like only my mom and my sister and I knew about. (laughs) (laughs) And it turned out there was kind of a worldwide fandom. And I think Who Cast was one of my first as well. So going back a bit. Before the new show came out, certainly. Before 2005. I wish, so- I wish someone had told me about podcasts in 2005. I was, I was stranded until about 2010 or 2011 <laughs> before I even knew it, it was a thing. I'd heard about them. I didn't know what it was. I had heard about them, but I thought they were something you had to pay for. Mm. And so I was like, well, okay, I'm definitely not going to pay for anything on the internet because it's like 2004 and nobody does that kind of thing. <laughs> And, and the, paying for things on the internet, that's never going to take off. What? <laughs> um, I think it was when oh, Circuit City went out of business. When I finally broke down because their sale was good enough that I bought an iPod. And that's when I started looking for podcasts. So sort of directly because of that, we met. Well, it was through Siobhan Garrison over at Flashing Blade. And I can never say enough about Siobhan. Certainly within that group of UK-based Who podcasts, her influence is really very strong. And she's always been incredibly supportive of anybody who wants to start a podcast up. I used to live just down the road. I didn't realise at the time, but I used to live just down the road and we met up. And it was through talking to her that I thought, you know, I could do this. And came up with the idea for the Ark in Space, which was a vastly different idea to begin with. And said, is there anybody you can think of? I wanted to work with somebody who was a female, who was American, who was very different to me. And Siobhan recommended Elizabeth. Uh, Yeah, because I've been corresponding with Siobhan through her blog, I think, at that point. And sort of been a regular commenter. Um, and so one day I got this Facebook request out of the blue of like, hi, you don't know me, but (laughs) this is what I'm interested in doing. Um, I'm kind of looking to start a podcast and Siobhan recommended you and I was like, well, okay, I'll give it a shot. And if he's sketchy, he's 5,000 miles away on a different continent. We're probably (laughs) okay. (laughs) And now I'm sketching in the same bed. This <laughs> <laughs> is coming from inside the house. So wait, what year was this that that you got this proposal via Facebook? Um. Oh gosh, it was had to be. I went over there for the first time. End of two thousand and nine. Yeah, that sounds about right. Around about October, November, somewhere in there. We've still got on the hard drive. We did two test runs before we did it. They've never been heard by anybody else. They never will be. Until it's, now. It's for the best. <laughs> you, you went over to the WhoCast also after that, I remember. Yeah, I did, for a little while. did the WhoCast. I think, actually, I, I'm the longest-running host on the WhoCast. Because you hosted with Siobhan for a while, and then we hosted for a while. Yeah, so um, I was uh, with Siobhan, then with you. So I was there for a good, 
I think the most number of episodes of anything I ever done was the WhoCast. And through that, you got to actually interview some pretty cool people. Yeah, well, I met, did, did the Tom Baker interview. We did the Ian Levine interview. So the Ian Levine one is kind of the the big one because he only has done the one interview. Oh, wow. That's why um, I got criticised for it, but I'm very much of the... If they're saying something, shut up and let them talk uh, school. So are you saying that he's only done the one interview because of the interview that you did with him, or...? I would say that's a strong possibility. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't don't think it was a bad experience for him. I actually kind of liked the guy, so... Not a very popular opinion, I know, within Who fandom, but I met him and spent a few hours with him, and he's a decent enough human being. I've never had a problem with him, and I've always remembered he's the guy on... (laughs) I I mean, I know him a lot more now, but at the time, I I knew him as the guy that was on more than 30 years in the TARDIS that saved the Daleks from destruction. He saved a lot of episodes out there, and I think he deserves some praise for that there's some people whose attitudes and opinions are well out of proportion to what they've done and I think that he has he has done some good work and I think we owe him a debt of gratitude well if, if we're talking favorable Doctor Who yes um, just for our our listeners and for myself because I, I don't know this information um, how did each of you discover Doctor Who how did you come to the f- how did you discover the show, and how did you come to the fandom? Um, well, Dave's story with Who starts a bit earlier than mine. I looked out of the cot, and my brother was watching it in the times of William Hartnell, and that was it. So, my first memories are Patrick Troughton stories. So, um, so you, you've you've seen some of the missing episodes, then? Yeah. Yeah, if you dissect my brain, you could... <laughs> I'm sure there's mice <laughs> is, with the answer 42. Offer? <laughs> ah, I haven't got much use for it these days, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, my parents were... Well, my father was stationed in England in the 70s um, at Lakenheath. And my, so my mother lived over there with him for two years. And so she got into British television and Doctor Who and things like that. So when we were sort of pre-teens, early teenagers, I think I was probably about 11 or 12, um, and it came on PBS and they used to do a sci-fi Saturday night down in South Florida. And my mother went, oh, you have to watch this. This is Doctor Who. It's really good. And then they also started showing episodes sort of the 4 to 5 o'clock or 5 to 6 o'clock, that sort of dinner hour. And so they'd show, I think, one episode every afternoon. So we got into watching it. So my mom got me into watching Doctor Who. And it was, I think my first episode was Robot. Oh, very cool. Now, did you watch with her or did she just kind of put you in front of the TV and said, here, watch this? Um, We watched with her uh, for a while. I think because our family room in our kitchen was sort of all big, one big space. So she was usually mm. prepping dinner, but watching along with us. And um, that also led into like... Um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Blake 7 and those sorts of things all got shown in that block of Sci-Fi Saturday Night Red Dwarf. So I got introduced to a lot of that British sci-fi of that era. 
Um, the good stuff. Yeah. Blake seven. Blake seven. What I call the longest hour. <laughs> the longest hour of television. <laughs> because it came on before Doctor Who. And do- so Doctor Who started probably about te- 10 o'clock, I think. And they'd run either the omnibus editions or they'd run all the episodes back to back. So they'd run a whole story. But because you didn't know how many episodes it was, you didn't know when it was going to end. So you'd set the tape to record. Do you remember these days? You'd set the... Oh, crap, it's the war game. Yeah. <laughs> you'd set the videotape <laughs> to record for longer than you thought it was going to be. Just in case it turned out to be a six-parter. Um, and so we'd have to wait through Babylon 5 to get... Uh, not Babylon 5, sorry. <laughs> We'd have to wait through Blake 7 to get to Doctor Who. I I have fond memories. My sister and I used to make grilled cheese sandwiches at like 10 o'clock at night waiting for Doctor Who to come on. That sounds perfect. (laughs) It sounds like absolute perfection. I'm I'm a little jealous that you have those memories uh, at such a a young age, the both of you. Um, And considering that, of course, we have to ask, so who's your favorite Doctor? Oh, it's hard. I think I probably got a face favorite classic and a favorite new. Uh, I'm good with that. I- I'd say Tom Baker's my favorite classic, and Matt Smith is my favorite new Doctor, particularly season five of Matt Smith. Mm-hmm. I love that season. My classic favorite is Sylvester McCoy, and has been since he was on. I think he was absolutely astonishing. And my favourite new is Matt Smith, and actually Matt Smith would be would just squeak it to the top place for me. Uh, Matt Smith over other new who, or Matt Smith in the top place overall? Overall. Bold. I think he is absolutely what I want the Doctor to be. He's heroic, he is funny, he's compassionate. He's, he's the perfect Doctor. Well he done. He doesn't whine when he, re- he regenerates. <laughs> I won't say who I'm talking about, but I don't want to go. Still irks. I've still not been able to watch a tenant story since that 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 whininess. Well, what about what about stories then? I mean, favorite stories, classic, new. I just want to get a feel of who, you know oh. feel of who we're talking to. I'm kind of curious, yeah. like, you know, because um, I know you can have a favorite story that's not done by your favorite doctor. So it's true. I think my favorite story is uh, Robots of Death. The production is beautiful. The robots are genuinely scary, especially if you don't look at their boots. And <laughs> it's, a, it's a, essentially a locked room Agatha Christie mystery. And mm-hmm. everybody's got a motive and everybody's got a backstory. And there's a twist villain. I mean, they do sort of show their hand. But uh, it's all the things I like in a good mystery, plus all the things I like in Doctor Who. And Leela gets to kick butt, too, so that's good. It's a good Leela story. It is a good it Leela is. story. It is. It's, you know. Um, uh, go ahead, love. I was going to say, classic Who would be Doctor Who and the Silurians, which is mm-hmm. still, I think, an astonishingly good show. And a new Who, and again, overall... The Girl Who Waited. Mm. 
I yeah. said it at the time, and it's still, I think, absolutely the pinnacle of the show. What do we think about uh, Series 10 so far? Um, I love <laughs> the first thick, three it's... episodes. <laughs> yes. It's thick at one end, thin in the middle. <laughs> and we're hoping it gets thick again at the end. <laughs> sort of reverse dinosaur. <laughs> um, I loved the first three episodes. I loved Bill. I love the way they introduce her. I love the way the doctor is with her. I love the idea of a university professor of this incarnation of the doctor. Nardo's a lot of fun and he makes sense. I I adore Smile because I think it's an excellent future off-world Doctor Who story, especially for new people stepping right in. Like, these two were perfect episodes to be completely fresh to the show and not know anything and step in and sort of a nice soft reboot. These middle stories have been a bit sketchy. Um, I really didn't care for the three-parter. Um, the last two I've enjoyed. The, the one that was just on on Saturday, I enjoyed. Um, I think they got a bit shouty with the queen. She was a bit arachnos for me. <laughs> but um, I, I liked the idea of Victorians in space and steampunk. That I, I, I like that idea. I like the Ice Warriors. I think they probably didn't do quite enough with the Ice Warriors because they can be interesting and complicated. And here they were just a bit shouty. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to what comes next. Because obviously um, something's going on with Missy and we've seen... Some spoilery uh, next time on. So we'll see how it goes. My feelings on this season can be summed up by the fact that after the first two or three episodes, I adored Bill. I thought she was funny. She was fresh. I really enjoyed her. And currently, I really don't care. She's just become the most generic, bland Who assistant I think there's been since the show came back. And it's tragic, because when they started, they showed what she could be. They showed how she could be, how she could act, what the actress is capable of. And they've just let it slip to, to, bleh, beige. Sometimes it it's... feels like these middle episodes may have been outlined or written before they really knew who Bill was. You know, it kind of has that feeling, like, insert companion speech here um the one thing this season that that i really 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 did not like was bill shooting the doctor and him pushing her that far and then it turning out to be a ploy to test her loyalty and see if she'd really been turned or not no no that mm -mm, did not work for me i was not i was not a fan of that at all and and what would she know about regeneration anyway? So what what was his point there? <laughs> exactly. It shouldn't mean anything to her. As far as she's concerned, he can die. He's dropped some hints, but she hasn't understood them. They've been for us. So, uh, yeah, I didn't like that bit at all. They could have done some really interesting things with that trilogy, and I, uh, it just went all a bit depressing, really. <laughs> After the first few episodes, I thought this could be a great classic series, and it could be the year where Capaldi really gets to show how good he is. 
and now I'm just going please the last couple of episodes save it salvage it from what it's slipped into um, uh, the one where they were uh, I'm terrible with titles but the one where they were on the space station and it turns out at the end that the healing we thought had happened hadn't uh, oxygen yes oxygen yeah. that's it I thought that was an excellent twist and proper scary I mean I was properly worried about Bill that was my favorite this year and, and I'm, I, I agree with what you said about how they're writing Bill because I absolutely loved her in the beginning and, and they kind of haven't done much with her in these middle episodes but I'm kind of hoping that since Stephen Moffat wrote the first one he's writing the next two so I'm, I'm hoping she's going to get a, a better ending here and and he really he wrote my some of my favorite New Who episodes before he took over um, Blink is actually the one that I introduce my students to Doctor Who. You know, every now and again we'll have a day because we're doing testing or I'm stuck, you know, there's... I'm stuck with the students for a longer period of time than I normally have them. Or we're having some sort of, you know, day where I only have part of my class and, and there's no point in actually teaching a lesson. So I introduce them using Blink and say, okay, the guy's going to show up, he's a time traveler, he has a companion, and this blue thing that you see on my desk all the time that I keep pens in, that's his, that's his time traveling machine, and that is all you need to know. And they can jump right in, and after that they demand the episodes with the angels. And we, we have to then go, okay, so there's River Song. She's complicated. <laughs> Do you then have to go back and watch the library? Or yeah, I, I start with the library, and then um, I think I go, um, it's Time of Angels, Flesh and Stone, or the library. No, I'm sorry, Silence in the Library. We do that one. And then I do Time of Angels, Flesh and Stone, because otherwise that they, they get terribly confused. Um, there was one year where, because of state testing, I had one class every day until after lunch for two weeks and so I taught my requisite hour and a half of English and after that we did various other lessons and one of them was a Doctor Who episode a day so by the end of them <laughs> I had a kid on the chalkboard tr doing parallel life diagrams plot diagrams one from the doctor's perspective and one backward through River's perspective which was terribly cool <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, one of the things that we like to do on this program is invite Doctor Who fans because we love talking to Doctor Who fans. But we also understand that Doctor Who is not the end-all and be-all in everyone's lives, though, you know, I can understand if it was. <laughs> what we like to do is we like to talk about other programs that have influenced your lives or your fandom that you're part of, something that you enjoy – uh, would you be so kind as to introduce us to the program you have selected for us and then explain why you chose that program to talk about? Michael Benteen's Potty Time. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. We've watched all 13 episodes. <laughs> There's quite a cliffhanger there in the middle. Are they going to flush? I don't know. Um, we picked Firefly, partially because it was the podcast that got Dave into podcasting and partially because it is a fantastic series that just 
isn't quite long enough. But we have the film which wraps up all the loose ends. <sighs> you love the film. All the loose ends? Some of the, lo the, the loosest of the loose ends. <laughs> um, Dave loves the film. I'm not a fan. Um, cause the film has possibly my favorite line ever from a movie. The I aim to misbehave. <laughs> which Elizabeth seems to think is about me. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> Well, we have one whole season to talk about before we move on to the Serenity, so... Um, we actually have half a season. We've got 13 episodes. No, is it 13 <laughs> or 14? 14. It was 14 total, 14, but we only yeah. got to see 10 on the on the actual television screen. Damn you, Fox. Damn you and your stupidity. <laughs> you know, it's amazing how often you say that, right? Like, if when you start talking about fandoms, there's a lot of shaking of the fist and gnashing of teeth and cursing Fox. Because they will show things out of order and then move stuff around yes. at, to different days. And then you can't find them, particularly before the yep. days of DVR, um, where now we can say, find it wherever it is and record it. Thank you very much. Um, but the, and, and they kiboshed Firefly by doing that. That's really the, the reason we only have these 14 episodes. I was lucky living in England at the time because it has been shown subsequently I'm sure on one of the cable channels but um, I walked into the supermarket and the box set of DVDs was out so I picked it up, took it home watched it in the correct order I'd heard about it mm -hmm. but back in those days you'd have to wait to see what was on because there weren't torrents I mean there wasn't uh, <laughs> any way of getting to see material from the States Sure. I was a huge fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer if anything, I was slightly more of an Angel fan. And they said he's doing a new show. I was like, wow, the guy who wrote Roseanne, superb. So I um, thought I have to watch this. And yeah, absolutely loved it. I sat down, put the first episode on, and within about five minutes I thought, I'm comfortable with this world, I'm comfortable with this crew, I know where I am, and I want to be here. I came to Firefly pretty late. I think we sat down and watched it together, didn't we? We did. I think Shindig was the first one I showed. Yeah, I think so. I had heard about it, and I'd heard people praise it, and I was sort of background familiar with some of Joss Whedon's work. Um, a, a friend and, and mutual podcaster, Danielle, was a huge fan of Buffy. And so I'd seen a few episodes of Buffy and Angel here and there, but I hadn't... And how did you watch Buffy when you watched it on DVD recently? Oh, with the, with the commentary on. He, he got very upset. Watching episodes for the, for the first time, and she watches with the commentary on the first time she sees an episode. Yeah. Yeah. With the, with the subtitles on for the dialogue and the commentary on. I want to get it all at once. Look, I know you married me, but there's weird and there's weird. <laughs> and that's just weird. <laughs> I, I like to be spoiled as well, which bothers him too. Um, I'm... Yes, it does, because my credit card has run out. <laughs> Not that kind of spoiled. Like, I'm totally okay. In fact, I prefer going in. Tell me who's going to die. Because Everybody. then I don't get emotionally attached to those characters. Wow, that's a really tricky question to ask any kind of Joss Whedon. <laughs> all of them. They're all die? going well, to die. Uh, <laughs> some of them more than once. Uh, Brent, when did you first watch? Actually, uh last fall and and it was because i didn't see it at the time i remember when it was on but i never 
took the time to watch it. And then maybe maybe a couple of years ago, I found the set uh, at Walmart or Target or somewhere, and it was like it was really cheap, like ten, fifteen bucks. So okay, I'll grab that. I'll watch this again. I put it in the closet. I totally forgot about it. <laughs> and uh, last summer, uh, um, my sister-in-law says. You know, oh, you should watch Firefly. It's my favorite show. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot I had that. So I went home. I watched all of them in about a week. And uh, it was really great. I, I loved it. Yeah, it's a it's a brilliant show. I watched it when it first came on television. I missed the first couple of episodes. And when I say first couple of episodes, I'm not talking in linear order. I, I missed the first couple that they actually aired. So I started with Janestown, which is hands down the worst episode I could have watched. If you don't know who the characters are and you don't know the situation and you're not familiar with them, it's not a great it's not a great episode. No, and it's it's not an easy way to come in, no. No, and I went, oh boy, I I'm I'm not digging this at all. Turned it off, never bothered watching it again and I, I wanted to give it a shot because I, I my wife and I were both Buffy fans. Uh, though we were new Buffy fans too, we we came into Buffy at the end, the very end of series. Uh, sorry, I'm Paul, Doctor Who fan. Season five, um, went. Oh, what's going on with Buffy? Season six comes on. Woohoo! Musical episode. Uh, and then you know moved on to it. And then when I found out that they were doing uh, another program with the bad guy from the seventh season, you know, I I know Nathan Fillion as Caleb. I mean, that was he was my first one. He was the creepy preacher dude. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so all of that kind of conspired against the program in itself, and so I didn't watch it again until it came out on DVD, and everyone was singing its praises, and I'm like, all right, I'll watch it, and I was like, oh, I'm a brown coat fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really easy fandom to be a part of, because, you know, until they started coming out with comics and movies and stuff, there's only 14 episodes you need to watch. I mean, that's not a lot of television. I know people who have memorized the entirety of the catalog of Doctor Who, you know, and we're looking at what X number of hundred episodes. You know, fourteen—that's easy. And if you are coming to the fandom backwards, as we all are now, you're going to recognize these faces from a lot of other stuff, um, a lot of later Joss Whedon projects, uh, from Castle, from um, Gotham. Uh, Marina Baccarat is in this, and gosh, was she young! Yeah, it's watching it. But I've not watched Firefly for about a year and a half, I guess. And we watched a couple of episodes to prepare for this because we do do research, no matter what it seems like on PDAIS. <laughs> Professor Dave's Ark in Space, our episode, available on Libsyn, iTunes, and Zoom. No, <laughs> we, we, only we, we were, only we were very happy with Gardens of Galaxy Two because <laughs> at the end he gets a Zoom. <laughs> And for years, it was a joke with us. We were available on iTunes, Libsyn, and Zoom. I was like, damn it, the Guardians of the Galaxy listen to us. <laughs> but watching it, and you just think, damn, she is, she's a child. They're all babies, mm-hmm. with the exception of Ron Glass. They're, they're all, well, and Adam Baldwin, obviously. But they're all pretty much, these, these folks have gone on to do some pretty uh, incredible stuff. And... This is a world quite a few of them got their start. Yeah, the only one that I knew, uh, I guess, when this came out was Ron Glass from Barney Miller when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, I forgot he was in that. Yeah. Yeah, the late, great Ron Glass. Yep. 
So who who does she play um, on Gotham? She played Jim Gordon's bit of stuff. <laughs> All right. Um, God, I'm trying to remember what her name is. Isn't that terrible? I was just looking up. Oh, it's Marina Baccarat. What's her name? People out there know. People uh, out your listeners will know. That's what. That's what IMDb is for. Well. <laughs> I mean, she's also Mrs. Deadpool, right? Yes, she which is, is. Which oh, was right, kind yeah. of a surprise to see um, show up. She was also in V, the television series, that another uh-huh. short-lived. I don't remember if that was on Fox or not, but it was kind of nice to see her show up uh, pretty relatively close thereafter. Yeah, I didn't ABC, watch that. I, yeah. remember, I remember the original. Well, yes, so did I. Yeah, yeah. but, I mean, it's you know, it doesn't mean you can't enjoy the remake. It it would It had its moments. I only watched it because I liked the original. Same the original here. show had the greatest moment of a producer shooting a show by going, okay, we're going to get rid of some cast members. Michael Ironside, you're out the door. She's like, oh, damn, that's the show gone. She plays <laughs> Leslie Tompkins on Gotham. Oh, oh, that's it, Dr. Leslie Tompkins. Really? Yeah. Well, and she does cool. a beautiful job. I, Except I'm actually one of, the last, one of the last episodes where I said there's a scene where she's just <laughs> bored. And you can tell she knows it's rubbish. Uh, you know, every now and again you see an act and you think, you know this is really bad. She knew it was really bad. I'm a little intrigued in watching Gotham now because I think Leslie Tompkins is a is an underutilized character in the, the Batman mythology. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I come at that as, as just from a comic nerd and, and we're kind of living in this utopia for, for comic nerddom now. It's Suddenly it used to be where you'd, you'd jump at any chance to get any kind of uh, television show or movie, even comics or action figures. Now you can't escape it, and I'm not gonna complain about that. So, well, let me ask you this: uh, Firefly could really be set anywhere. It's essentially a show with an ensemble cast. So, I'd like to go around the room and just ask everybody who's your favorite character and why. Okay. Um. Well, mine is Kaylee, played by Jewel State, and and I'd seen Jewel. Back when she did a Disney show called Flash Forward, when she was probably about twelve, so I she was the only actress I think I really knew going into this, um, other than Nathan Fillion, and she's the happiest character on the show. She's young and she doesn't fully have confidence in herself all the time, but she loves her crewmates; they're her family. She loves her ship. And she's really good at what she does. And watching women on television be really good at their jobs is one of the things that I, I love doing. She's, well, she just gets to be happy. So many of them are dark characters. It's nice to have someone who's happy on the ship. I would say Kaylee as well, for the way she eats the strawberry. <laughs> <laughs> she is... It was just the perfect Kaylee moment because she lived in that one moment and the sheer simple joy of it. I'm a Jane fan. <laughs> I, I don't know why I, Jane. I mean, like, because it should have been Wash. Because I, I mean, I'm not a good driver, but other than that fact, you're basically watching me on television. I mean, I have, I, I have that Hawaiian shirt collection. <laughs> I'm that big kid. <laughs> I have dinosaurs on my desk. I'm a children's librarian. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, like, I can't I can't drive Wash would anything, be an excellent children's librarian, actually. <laughs> he would. 
He would, and you know, uh, he's got he's got a better half that would make sure the children would stay in line and be quiet. But I still <laughs> like Jane, and because Jane, I feel like there's so much to Jane backstory wise. Like I want to know. I mean, obviously, I want to know more about Shepherd Book. Those those two characters are the ones that I, I find most intriguing because Jane is, I think, much more than kind of the meathead mercenary that we show of him and they keep on hinting at things like Jane pulls out a guitar and plays and you're like what? Is it, what? Jane has a fantastic relationship with his mother that's fantastic you know like th- th- there's some really neat moments with him I mean he's played for comedy and he's he's a, a bit skeezy and that's okay because it's still a Whedon verse and those characters usually are going to find redemption and, and Jane's definitely a character who is ripe for redemption I think it was that moment when Kaylee's been shot and everybody's gathered around her and he's crouched outside looking in. Yeah, yeah. That really, to me, summed up who the character is. He wants to belong and he cares, but he can't show it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he picks on her, too, quite a bit. I mean, he picks on everybody. That's sort of what he does. There's some good Jane moments in the in the episodes that you suggested as well. Oh, yes, the moment with his gun. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Vera. Vera. But but Brent, how about you? Who's who's your favorite? Kaylee is also my favorite, and uh, <laughs> she just got me right off the bat, right off the first episode. She was my favorite the entire time, and she's just really sweet. She's a great actress too, and uh, yeah. especially um, we, we watched the two that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. But today, I also watched the last one again, and there's that scene where the bounty hunter is like, just randomly like, "So, have you ever been raped?" And she just automatically shock and you see one tear come down and and you're like wow she's just great i I just love her that's the kind that's the kind you bring home to mom she's the heart of the show she very much is yeah in the film when they're under siege by the reavers and simon basically says he didn't get to uh, make love to her she's like there was going to be love (laughs) the hell with this i'm going to (laughs) live Yeah, I, I mean, I had to choose someone other than Kaylee because I knew pretty much everyone else was going to. So she's a favorite. And, you know, the, you talk about a show that's been off the air since 2002. I was at a comic convention this past weekend, and there were people dressed as Kaylee. I mean, you know, there's there's a reason that we love her. I mean, she is a very memorable character. She's a relatable character. And, and, and like you said, it's nice to see uh, a program where there's more than one multi-dimensional woman who's you know I, I, I'm hesitant to say capable at their job but there's more than just their job but they're incredibly capable but that's not they're not just that that one thing yes. that they do and she doesn't just so. repeat the computer I, <laughs> yes. I've been I've been getting the Firefly loot crates which are wonderful and really cheap they're nine ninety nine, honey that's all uh-huh. they are trust me uh-huh <laughs> My favorite thing is still in the first one. There's a Kaylee teddy bear. It's a teddy bear dressed up as Kaylee. <laughs> and I'm a big old miserable guy. And I just look went, that's the cutest thing in the world ever. Does it have a parasol? No, it doesn't. But the, that pack did come with a little set of parasols you can put in your drinks. Oh, And I think the, the little, yeah. car- uh, the little um, figure came with a parasol, didn't she? She does. The little figure they have. Okay, Each one has like a little... Statuette that's about five inches tall, and the Kaylee came with a parasol, and uh, the wash came with dinosaurs. 
Of course. <laughs> of course. They would have to. I do like that every character has their moments. And for such a large ensemble cast in only 14 episodes, where easily he could have said, all right, this season's really about these three people and, and everybody else is kind of just the crew and we'll get to you guys in later episodes. In the 14 episodes we've got, everybody gets moments. I think maybe River doesn't get as much as she should because she's such a complicated character and we, she's so mysterious. But everybody has a moment here, a moment there, moments of comedy, moments of tragedy. Everybody's got their moments. Not in every single episode. Some episodes are pretty heavy on one, one set or the other. Um, but everybody gets a moment, and I think that's really nice. Especially when you ha- and like you said, it has such a large cast. I would even say five episodes in, you could probably go. That's a very River thing to do. That's a very Shepherd Book thing to do. That's that's a very Jane thing to do. You know, um, I, they're well defined without being stereotyped. I think it's a credit to Joss Whedon that this universe and these characters are com- as complex as they are. Because clearly he spent an awful lot of time in his own mind and, and probably with massive notes. I, I'm a note taker. Um, building the universe and saying, okay, well, Chinese is going to become a major language. So everybody's going to know a little bit of that. And we're going to have this. And this is how this works. And he doesn't always tell us. But it's clear he's been through the thought process. I'm rereading the Lord of the Rings books. I'm I'm halfway through Two Towers at the moment. And one of the things that I notice with that, and it's the same with Firefly, is that it is absolutely clear that the creator knows this world and these characters down pat. And that there's an awful lot going on in the background and in the past that we don't see, but that influences every action they take. I, I will say that it is an excellent world, and one of the things that I like to do for a hobby and just for kind of the joys of my life is to run role-playing games, which I, I, I do write, too, um, as a kind of a side thing. And the world-building is quite exquisite, it, both from a thematic standpoint and what they did visually in a world where Chinese is spoken so f- not fluently, but it kind of finds its way in everyday speech. I would have liked to have seen some actual Asian characters yeah. um, on the show, which you don't get. But if you have flaws with the program, it's a there's not a lot of them because we didn't really have a whole lot of time to complain about it. But. <laughs> I'm sure they, it would have eventually shown up and it would have been marvelous. It would have been amazing. This is definitely one of those programs where you're like, oh, what could have been? What could have been? <laughs> well, guys, we asked you to pick a couple of episodes in particular to discuss, so uh, you chose... Our Mrs. Reynolds and Out of Gas. So why did you choose those two? Our Mrs. Reynolds, I think, is hysterically funny. It's beautifully written, and it does give a female villain who isn't... I was going to say twirling her moustache, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Yes. She's a very subtle, very feminine character who's actually deeply unpleasant, but lovable with it. More so in the uh, in the her second appearance, and Out of Gas, I think, is the most beautifully structured piece of television I've ever seen in my life. 
more to the point watching them again you go actually they're both about how much Mal needs the crew and how his strength is the crew yeah no yeah agreed agreed it's a good it's a good call I, I didn't realise it until I I was watching going hell I picked two episodes with the same thing <laughs> <laughs> also, they're the two episodes I got on my phone. So they're the two episodes I bought from iTunes. Um, and in our Mrs. Reynolds, we get to see um, Christina Hendricks, who you know later went on to Mad Men fame and everything else. And it's kind of nice to see her here playing a really different kind of character. Who accidentally... Well, I was going to say Mal accidentally gets married to a beautiful woman and all Jane gets is a stupid rain stick. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know he really liked that rain stick when he got it. Yes. Right? Like he was he was totally happy until he was comparing. So. <laughs> oh, when I was in my younger days, when I was maybe a little less intelligent in some of my lifestyle choices, that moment was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I was like... Yeah, I used to be like that. <laughs> you got to wonder what was in that drink, right? So. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was a very herbal concoction. This is an episode where we get great moments from Mal, but we also get great moments from Wash. We get the fun with Jane. Anara gets something to do. This one's pretty weak on Kaylee and Simon and River. In fact, we're not even sure that we saw River. We, she may have been lurking, but um, but Shepard has some great moments because he's going to the special hell. Yeah, <laughs> I wrote that down in my notes. A special special place in hell reserved for people that talk at the movies. Yeah. And I was like, you know, they did that joke on uh, Lie of the Land a couple of weeks ago on Doctor Who. Whoa, yes. Well, I can even throw in some other stuff. You know, things that I could change just by thinking. Racism, people, we talk in cinemas. She's a nice girl. Seems very anxious to please you. That's her way, I guess. I suppose so. If you take sexual advantage of her, you're going to burn in a very special level of hell. A level they reserve for child molesters and people who talk at the theater. Um, oh, they did, didn't they? Um, it's an episode that lets you see who Mal could be if he weren't governed by his own internal morality. Because he he could be the guy who takes advantage of her. And instead, he's the guy who's taken advantage of and doesn't kill her at the end. it furthers the relationship with Inara as well, which is kind of nice. Yes. We get that moment. No, I totally fell and hit my head. No, you don't need to examine me. <laughs> um, because she's she's kissed him. Um, after he was kissed with knockout lipstick, which is totally like a River Song thing to do. Yeah, um, she's clearly jealous and then tries to play it off. Yeah, yeah. But it's nice because up until that point, that their will they or won't they relationship is sort of unanswered, and then with this one, it's just kind of like, okay, there's there's something there, which is it is nice for fans who are I'm sure shipping them immediately because that's. <laughs> What we do, uh, <clears throat> not from personal experience or anything. But. Um, the other thing is that this show, and particularly this episode, has a really refreshing perspective on sexuality and women's sexuality. Because Anara, that's her job. I was going to say, I was going to say, honey, you just said women's sexuality. Don't look to the men to talk. We're off in the reverie at the moment. So. <laughs> no, 
no, uh, because it's Anara's job, she's a companion, and that's just what she does. And although some of the characters feel uncomfortable about it, nobody goes up to her and tries to control what she does. It's her business. Uh, but also, when we find um, Christina Hendricks's character, um, Saffron. Is it Yolanda at this point in time? No, is that Yolanda's the next one? Yeah, I think Yolanda's the next one. Um, yeah. She is that so, sort of virgin, oh, I've been waiting for to be married and the Bible and all this. But it's also her tool, and it's kind of her only tool, at least at the beginning. And she uses it with great aplomb and great success on anybody she wants. Uh, and she doesn't feel constrained. Oh, well, that's a guy. That's a girl. That's, you know, this this is person who's in charge of the ship. No, that's just the tool and she uses it. And then we find her at the end, you know, still trying to control using it. Um, and Mal is a bit bewildered. But... Nobody condemns her for that being her tool. It's just all she's got. Um, and it's nice that we, you know, at the end of the episode, we don't get like get a lecture from Shepard about how she should have behaved, or it's you know, it's just there. Hmm. Yeah. Excellent point. What do you guys? What did you guys really enjoy about the episode? I like that there's a comedy of errors in in a, in a certain way. There's the the farcical aspect of it, and watching Mal just be uncomfortable the entire time. But it's also there's a world building to it, right? Because they walk into a culture that they don't understand, and you you see these in older films where you break bread with a family, and oh, now you're suddenly engaged. I mean, that part of it is interesting, and I've always wanted to go. Does she go to that planet knowing that's the custom and just hoping to get off the planet, or? Does are are as the rest of the planet were they in on it? You know, like it doesn't really discuss that. It makes me wonder what what the world building aspect of the initial delivery, how that came into her play. It doesn't matter. Well, there are there are the two there are the two guys that are kind of talking and and wasn't she working with them or something? Yeah, the two guys who are running the net and she's part sort of part of their plan. She's leading the ship towards them. Um. I kind of got the feeling rewatching this that the people on the planet don't know that she's pulled the con. Like that they might not know exactly who she is because you kind of expect at the um as Firefly is taking off again, uh the sort of the leader of the group to say um yeah, she's on your ship and we're kind of leaving her with you and here's your present or here's your reward. And he's basically saying, look, I can't pay you. That's a good point. That's a good point. I didn't even think about so, that. So although she says later, oh, well, uh, you know, I was given to you in payment. We never actually see that part happen. We do see them get married. Um, and and Shepard sees that and like clocks it happening for us. But there's no dialogue. So it's kind of left ambiguous, which I like. Mm, me too. I like the bit where she says to Zoe, do you want to cook for your husband? And the look that Zoe gives, because that's the look my wife gives a lot. <laughs> I cook all the time. Yeah, I know you do, and then you eat. <laughs> this is not true. I quite enjoy cooking for you. 
But I do love the dynamic between Zoe and Wash here because Wash would kind of like some of that food and you do kind of get the idea that maybe it might be nice if he had a different kind of relationship and then when Saffron's seducing him, he's going, I wish I were somebody else right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I love my wife and the dynamic we have works for us. And not everybody yeah, I... understands it, but she's going to kill me. <laughs> Sometimes I may wish I was someone else, but I love my wife and she has a friend called Katie, so I have to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> the most in-joke possible, but there we go. Oh, Katie lives in Texas and is rather fond of firearms. Um, Katie lives in Texas and Texas is scared. <laughs> um, and... If you're going to jump in, I mean, with Firefly, you really should just start at the beginning and watch your way through chronologically. But if you've got to kind of jump in in the middle, this isn't a bad place to come in. Because you're not dealing with all the backstory of Simon and River and everybody else. You get the, the idea of, okay, they land on planets and do sort of missions in a Star Trek-y kind of way. Uh... And then they go off again, and this is the crew. I don't think Star Trek had quite such a mercenary attitude behind it all, but yeah, I, I see what you mean. And and they were they were short on beautiful bonnets as well. <laughs> <laughs> Watching her, Mrs. Reynolds, what did occur to me was there is more plot, and character, and fantastic dialogue in forty-two minutes than you get in most films now. That last two hours. Yeah, when you get... I, and I actually don't remember who wrote that particular script, but if you're a part of a Joss Whedon program, your dialogue is going to be key. I mean, that's something that people are expecting from something that has his name attached to it. And quite rightly so. He is a superb writer. But he did spend some of his, his younger days in England, so of course it rubbed off on him. Well, and he's he's <laughs> taken his own shot at rewriting some Shakespeare, and we're quite fond of that particular production. Mm. If you haven't seen his Much Ado About Nothing, it's it's superb. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, that sounds like it could be the most obscene comment I've ever seen. I'm an English teacher. We have strong feelings about Shakespeare. How about Out of Gas? Uh, to me, when I first watched all of these last fall, I uh, watched them all in about a week or two. And that was, although I liked all of them, um, that was the one that jumped out at me so much more than the others. I, I liked the last one, uh, Objects in Space. That's probably my other favorite. But um, Out of Gas, tell me why you picked that. It was the structure. It was basically the free time zones. And I just enjoyed how beautifully it was written and how well it was it was edited as, and directed as well because there's no point that I was con as confused by this there were shots where Mao is on the ground and then you get young Mao walking in and it, it works and it shouldn't work and I'm utterly astonished and impressed by the craftsmanship that behind this episode and also because it is Mao's true love as much as he loves Inara his love is serenity and that's what this is about. This is his character and his ship and why they are together. It absolutely says more about him than any other episode. And it 
gives us a chance to get to know the crew a little bit. Like, here we are solidly in the middle of the series. And we're getting to know, okay, how did everybody join? Where are they coming from? Because back in episode one, we get how Simon joined. We get how River joined. But we don't know why everybody else is there. And sometimes they don't make a lot of sense together. And this gives us that nice background to these characters who we already know and care about. Which makes the moments when we think it's all over all the more poignant. Particularly as we know Joss Whedon fully capable of killing all of them. Yeah, the, the director, David Solomon, did an extraordinary job with the phases in between the flashback and, and the... Well, the flashback, the flashbacks, and the flashbacks. Um, just the way that the episode is both written and directed, just the composure of it is uh, coming back and watching it. I think since I started doing podcasting, I've been learning how to have a more critical eye for storytelling, specifically for television and in that format. And I kept on going, wow, I knew I liked this episode. And I love this episode, but to see the artistry behind it, it was really kind of blew me away. And we have the quintessential beautiful dialogue. Um, you know, when Anara says, you don't have to die alone, and he says, everybody dies alone. Just, oh, oh. <laughs> stab me right through the heart right there. <laughs> but it is... For as much fun as Mal is, and, and for as silly as he is sometimes, he really does have that deep loneliness and melancholy about the character. And it comes through here, where he basically says, look, leave me. Everybody go. I'll go down with my ship. There's, uh, early on, he refers to when he and Zoe are, are looking after he first bought the ship. And he's showing her off, and she's not impressed, but he explains that this is not ship. This is freedom mm -hmm. to do what they want and to live the way they want to live. Knowing his backstory as being a soldier, knowing that he there was a moment that he was willing to lay down his life for what he believed in, it, it really ties his relationship with Serenity. Uh, it, it's, it's very clear what is what is happening in his mind and in his heart and his soul is is tied in with this not just the crew as you mentioned before and it becoming a family he's kind of just cottoning to that but the ship that is it that's right there and they really play it up at the end that final shot where he first lays his eyes on serenity it's almost like seeing your wife for the first time <laughs> it was really great I, i'd love that Especially since they're trying to fake you out, right? Yeah. You know, like you, you're looking at a different ship and you realize, nope, nope, that's not it. <laughs> this episode would not have worked had it been the first episode. Like, this is not a sh an episode that you start... Like, I, I wouldn't introduce people to... It's a, a brilliant episode, but you wouldn't... I don't think anyone can fully appreciate it unless they've watched the episodes leading up to it. Unlike, say, our Mrs. Reynolds, which I think you could start and get them an understanding of what's going on. This one is not going to have the same emotional impact. I like the fact that the first time we see Kaylee, she's um, having an illicit rump with the original engineer underneath the, the engine of the ship. <laughs> and she's allowed to be somebody who just enjoys sex, 
without any judgment being put upon that. And for a female character on American TV, that is extraordinarily rare still. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no one, no one has a problem with, with what's going on. It's like, why aren't you doing it in your bunk? She likes the engines, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and and it it actually not only that it it solves a problem they're having. She goes, no, I saw it back then when I was on my back, you know. Uh, she no no shame in it. She was there. She saw the problem. She fixes the problem. She has a job. Simple enough. She has to just go ask her pa, you know. Yeah, also that's the uh, Bester is insulted twice. Once he didn't know how to fix the engine. Twice he's such a lousy lover that she saw it while he was trying to do yeah, it. Yeah. What he was doing. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So he gets two insults there. It is one of those episodes that you have to be, as you said, emotionally invested in these characters for this episode to work. And by this point, we really, really are. We care about each one of these characters. So if you were watching this on original broadcast, it's entirely possible that this was the end. Mm. You know, and to say, okay, I'm saying hello and goodbye to the characters at the same time, which would be a terribly Whedon-esque thing to do, um, I think makes this all the more powerful. Watching on DVD, you know, you sort of go through your menu and you go, all right, well, I've got a couple more left and we're all right. (laughs) Everybody's going to be okay. Um, (laughs) Like I said, I kind of like to know who to get emotionally attached to. Whedon does write the best female characters around for this kind of stuff. And as much as and Wonder Woman, which is on the latest PDIS, you should listen to PDIS, <laughs> Professor Dave's Art in Space. Fantastic podcast, by the way. We do talk about Wonder Woman, which is a great film. For all the talk about Wonder Woman, I still think, yeah, okay, she's really tough. River running down to battle the Reavers in Serenity would kick the arse out of Wonder Woman without even breathing heavy. Um, and this is where he, he gets the character who's the most fragile looking character in the whole piece and she is fierce and she moves beautifully and he takes advantage of the fact that she's a dancer to give her a kind of physicality you don't normally get Whedon really cares about writing women well and it shows yeah absolutely we're talking about the movie uh, in that instance do you want to kind of talk about Serenity as a sort of coda to this franchise it is fantastic, it's amazing. If you didn't go and see it when it came out, shame on you because you denied his future Firefly films. For shame He's on you. still a For little shame, angry. <laughs> how, how many times did you watch it in the theater? Twice. Yeah. I wasn't a fan when it came out. I saw that it came out and I was like, oh, alright. It's a science fiction film. Um, but, so I was part of the problem. Um... <laughs> Having watched it after watching the series, I found it darker in tone and characters I love die. And we get some answers, but we don't get the answers to the questions I really wanted. I think from the talk they had where Mal was originally going to be a much darker character, I think this film is maybe more what the the show was going to be before they lightened up for TV mm-hmm. hmm. I would have been okay with that I don't mind dark no that's which is why you like the first season of Gotham which may have come up a few times but yeah well first season of Gotham with Marina background fantastic second season superb third season 
absolutely the worst thing I've seen for years on TV. It's a shame. It is. I cleared it off the DVR to make room for Judge Judy. That's what the <laughs> She's our guilty pleasure. <laughs> After a day of, of people being annoying at work, it's kind of nice to have somebody else yell at them. Um, <laughs> uh, I prefer the lighter comedic tone, and I think as beautiful as Serenity is, I miss that tone. Um, and wash! I'm still mad! Yeah, that's that's definitely a way to uh, sort of end a franchise, isn't it? Yeah. I was more upset by Book, because we never got to the... They've done it in the graphic novel with Book, um, where who he is and where he came from. But yeah. we never got to, to see Book. And again, I love the show. Should it come back, there'd be no wash, there'd be no Book. Uh, I'm not that worried. You're saying that it would still be able to survive without those two characters? No, I'm saying that I wouldn't be that keen on it. I, I would watch it, but without those two characters, I don't know that I'd love it as much as I do. Well, because Zoe's going to be broken. I mean, Wash is what keeps her stable. He's what keeps her from from being a, a broken soldier. Um, and without him, that's that's where she is. Oh, that bit when she's in the battle after he's been killed is absolutely heartbreaking. I, absolutely. I don't want that for Zoe. I like Zoe too much. Um, so in my head canon, whole chunks of Serenity just never happened. <laughs> she does this with stuff. I don't like that, therefore it didn't happen. It's not real. Yes. Um, uh, actually, chunks of... Um, of Doctor Who. Reality. She does it with the news. Well. She's sitting there going, nope, I don't like that. It didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> How does you that You have happen? your own head I do. I like it better in here. Um, I, I, I've done it with chunks of Doctor Who as well. Uh, the whole master becoming a bouncy tigger. I don't need that in my head. Doesn't work <laughs> for me. So, bye bye <laughs> Sound of drums will keep. And uh, tigger master, not so much. Well, uh, if there's nothing else to talk about, um, I think the only thing left is to thank the both of you for coming on to Who and Company and, and discussing what I, it appears to be a show that we all really seem to care a lot about. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting us on and letting us talk Firefly and Doctor Who and all kinds of cool stuff. It has been fun, and I'd like to thank you for, yeah, for the opportunity to talk about it and say how good it was. And to point out that Matt Smith was the best doctor there ever was. <laughs> Just in case any of the listeners have forgiven me by this stage. <laughs> Matt Smith, best ever. Well, before we say goodbye to you, uh, <clears throat> not that you haven't already mentioned it several other times, but uh, is there anything that you'd like to talk about about your own podcast? What, Michael Benteen's Potty Time? We would love to talk about it. It was a show on British TV in the early to mid-70s. Michael Benteen was one of the goons. And it was basically a sandpit with little pits that would appear and he would tell the story of these characters. They were called the Potties. <laughs> he was Michael Benteen and the time the show was on was called Michael Benteen's Potty Time. Fantastic. If it's on YouTube, you should look for it. But our yeah, podcast... <laughs> Anything involving Spike Milligan, why not, right? So is Well, no, he wasn't on that. He was... He, you're just being foolish now. Although he did work with him, uh, Michael, they didn't work together like 20 years before that he did this. Michael Benton's spot entirely different show. 
Professor I James it, Arkin and then Bentine is B E N T I N E apostrophe S. You're getting a look through the closed door down the hallway. <laughs> That's <laughs> we're in, super side eye there. And we're getting P O T T Y. It's okay. We'll take care of it in editing. <laughs> we have complete faith in Brent. Brent's gonna be. Oh, what's this? Ten minutes of that. Um, <laughs> the podcast would go. So Firefly, we liked it. The end. <laughs> Um, we are Professor Dave's Ark in Space, but if you look us up, usually P D A I S will find us. Um, we have the only show where it's more awkward to say the abbreviation than it is to say true. the full title. Um, and we have quite an extensive catalog because we've been podcasting for well, rather a long time. Uh, but we yes, but we've also took lots of pauses, which go on for rather a long. Yeah, time. well, we we tend to get interrupted by you know life, the universe, and everything. Um, and this time I switched jobs in schools, and you switched jobs, and we just got busy with life. Uh, but we do all kinds of pop culture and also just fun stuff and sometimes we review movies that no one else should ever have to watch so we watch them so you don't have to um we have done quite a few shows on the eurovision song contest which is a lot of fun (laughs) and uh our show has kind of gone through different phases where at the beginning it was just the two of us and then we brought on some friends and it got kind of chaotic and crazy there for a while and um now a friend or two appears occasionally but mostly it's kind of back to just the two of us sitting at the kitchen table and talking about stuff we've watched and the drive-in movies we went to and you know fun stuff we've got hopefully one about uh, a graphic novel we really liked coming soon thank you again guys well thank you very much indeed for letting me come on and it's always a delight always an honor Fantastic. Well, thank you to our audience for joining us for Who and Company. Come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixel who. Who and Company can now be found on iheartradio.com or you can download the podcast directly from whoandcompany.libson.com. You can also contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. See you next month. Are you going to kill me? What? What kind of crappy planet is that? Kill you. In the maiden's home, I heard talk of men who weren't pleased with their bride. Well, I ain't them. And don't you ever stand for that sort of thing. Someone ever tries to kill you, you try to kill them right back.